0: This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. Galatians 1 8 through 12 says this But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. This is God's word. You may be, you may be seated. So we're we're continuing on in this this series on Galatians, and before I begin, uh, if If you're new um, or if you've already forgotten, which is very easy to do, I I just want to give you a short uh, couple of things about the book of Galatians in general so that you can be uh, caught up on where we are. Galatians was was simply a a letter written by the Apostle Paul to Christians. Now, um, the theme of the book is the gospel. Uh, You just heard it four times in our five short verses. That word gospel came up. Gospel, gospel. That's, that's central to this book. And so the fact that a letter uh, would be written to Christians with the gospel as its theme uh, tells us something. It, it tells us that the gospel is not just the beginning of the Christian life, something that you move on from, but the gospel is the Christian life. It is central. And so if the gospel is, is central, um, our passage tonight, I believe, asks us this question. On what authority do you found your entire life? On, on what basis do you make every decision uh, that, you, that you make in your life? Now, this is a question of epistemology. Okay, I just got you there, right? What, what in the world is an epistemology? All right, um, Now, it sounds like a seminary word, um, one in which you would say, okay, uh, I'm done, I'm not paying attention to you anymore because I I don't think this has anything to do with me. What I would tell you right now is that you're dead wrong. It has everything uh, to do with you. Um, Because an epistemology answers this question, how do I know things? Every decision in your life can actually be boiled down to how you answer that question. And so the most detrimental, the most devastating thing you can actually do in your life is to never ask yourself this question. How do I know the things that I know? And let me tell you, if if you don't answer this question um, for yourself, trust me, somebody else will. And and the world already is answering this question for you. And um, if you're not answering it for yourself, they've already answered it for you and you don't even know it. And so we should want a firm foundation upon which we can answer that question. And so we need to search uh, for an ultimate authority to give us that. I, I was recently in New Orleans um, at a conference, and uh, the family that I was staying with, they told me that there's, there's a new uh, housing regulation in New Orleans since Hurricane Katrina. Uh, this regulation basically says that to build a house now um, in the city, you have to put Uh, concrete pillars, if you will, um, pour them 100 feet down into the ground. 100 feet. Um, Assuming that by doing that, you're going to uh, establish a foundation uh, for the house. Assuming that without that, that if another storm were to come along similar to Katrina, that that, that your house is going to be wiped away. And so you you have a choice, I guess. You you could ignore the authority that's saying, hey, if you want to have your house stay where it is, um, you better put these pillars down. Um, Or um, you could ignore that uh, and not put them down, and the city will tell you when the storm comes through and your house is no longer there, they'll say, well, sorry about that, because we told you. And even Jesus tells us what happens to houses that are built on sand and not on the rock. They're washed away. And so answering this question is really important. And so I, I'm going to show all my cards up front, and, and as believers, we have the privilege that we don't have anything uh, to hide. Uh, that's because we, we have the winning hand. We have the royal flush, so we don't need to wait and see what everybody else has got. We can show our hand. Um, and that's because our uh, epistemology as believers, the, how we know what we know, it's, it's really simple. It's this right here. It's the Bible. It's scripture, uh, the word of God. And, and in this passage, we're going to find that Paul is going to tell us uh, the same thing. He's going to tell us how he came to know things. Paul's going to tell us, here's how I came to know the gospel. And we'll find that what Paul gives us through scripture that we now have is our ultimate authority. And, and because of that, uh, we need to receive it as our ultimate authority. So the the outline for for tonight is is pretty simple. Uh, First, identifying false authorities. And second, identifying the ultimate authority. And third, receiving that authority. So first, identifying false authorities. Um, My line of thinking on on this point is actually, again, pretty simple. There is one sin that Paul's going to tell us about, um, which has led to... False authorities. And that has led to two drastic, devastating effects in the church. So, again, one sin has led to false authorities, and those have had drastic effects on the church. If you look at verse 8, Paul opens the door um, on the identity of those false authorities. He says this But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you. What what Paul is bringing into focus is that one sin. Paul's telling us about pride, that I can be like God. I I am the ultimate authority of everything. Pride says, I can figure the world out uh, without God telling me anything about it. Pride gets us to ask, how do you know what you know? Pride tells us, well, you just ask yourself. You just look inside. It's all in me. Listen, this type of thinking is is everywhere. I I was listening to the news um, just the other night, and a certain actress was was telling us about how terrible it is to be a young person today growing up, Uh, and her conclusion in all of that was to say, after all, our emotional life is what guides us. My first thought was, please tell young people that there's something besides their emotional life um, that guides them. Um, But... Right after that, I recognize that that's what I do too, though, that I set myself up as the ultimate authority in my life. That's what we do. So the one sin is our pride, and, and this leads to the false authority, and the false authority is me. The false authority is, is you. It's us turning in to ourselves and saying, I know what's Right? But here's a simple way, a a story to to try and help us to to see how we set ourselves up as the ultimate authority in our life and the foolishness that that is. Uh, When the mall in in Nairobi was attacked or the naval yard in Washington, D.C. was attacked, what did every news station say? They said, there's a tragedy, right? There's a tragedy in Nairobi. There's a tragedy in Washington, D.C. Now, if you were to ask um, the news people, I'm sorry, I don't understand. Why, why is this a tragedy? Well, first they would look at you like you were from another planet, rightfully so, for asking such a silly question. But then they would say, well, you idiot, because people were killed. Innocent lives were lost. And then if you were still so stubborn as to say, well, how do you know that people being killed is bad, is evil? Well, at this point, of course, they would assume you have a, a screw loose. But they would say, Well, because you just know. That's terrible. When you hear that, you just know this is bad. And so, listen, I agree. Uh, Those were tragedies. That's not what I'm trying to say. The question is, how do we know um, that these things are bad, that these things are evil? The world says this. My feelings tell me that. I get to tell you that. And at some point, I just know what's right and what's wrong. My appeal is myself and what I have inside of me well, you know what happens next, right? What do we do when we disagree? (laughs) Well, we both appeal to the same thing and then we end up having to say, hey, my feelings, my emotions, my thoughts, my experiences, they're better than yours. Uh, And so I guess we'll just have to agree to disagree and go our separate ways. But at the end of the day, when you set yourself up as the ultimate authority, you have no basis to even say that killing someone is wrong other than the fact that you just know that it just is wrong. No one wants to admit that though, right? Why? Well, because if I admit that, I expose that my authority is ridiculous. It's weak. It's really kind of idiotic. It, but not only that, if I set myself up as the ultimate authority, I'm, I'm really, uh, that's a religious belief that requires immense faith to exercise. And here's the sad part. Where does all of that I am my own kind of god lead you. Well, it'll lead you to a place where everything is basically meaningless. We end up putting our faith in ideas, things like goodness and justice and love and we hope just hope that we can put some kind of meaning in those words or maybe that those words will put some meaning into us. So what I hope you see is that these authorities that the world is so sure of are completely false. They're, they're as ridiculous as telling the owner of, of that house in New Orleans that, oh, yeah, yeah, hey, we poured the concrete for those pillars. Don't you worry about it. Uh, but in reality, there's nothing there. And you live your life assuming, hey, there's something there. I'm, I've, got, I've got a grounding, and there's, but there's nothing there. It was a lie. And when that storm comes, trust me, the house will most certainly be washed away. And so we have the one sin of pride Uh, that leads to this false authority, which is me and and you. And now there's two uh, effects that this has on the church. If you look back again at verse eight, Paul says, even if we or an angel of heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. All right, so let's talk about this angel of heaven first. If your authority for how you know everything that you know is well, I've had an experience with God and I now base everything on that experience. Paul seriously cautions us against that in this passage. He basically says, if you've had this uh, experience with an angel, let's say, verified by friends and, and even strangers, they, they touched the angel, they, they saw him, they heard him. And the angel comes to you and he says, hey, hey I've got a gospel for you. Here's the gospel. The gospel is uh, you obey God and, and then he loves you. Paul tells us that you can tell that angel to go on somewhere else. Paul tells us you can tell that angel to go to hell. In essence, Paul is telling us that that experience of even an angel coming to you, that experience of God in your mind visiting you, means nothing. Because why? He's saying the message is the power, not some experience that you've had. But again, this happens all the time, doesn't it? And we can quickly see what happens when it does. It's the same thing as that happened before. Well, hey, God told me this. God didn't tell me that. I don't know what you're talking about. So, great. Now what do we do? Well, Paul is telling us that there is an authority that we can rest on. And it's not our own experience with God. So it's not an angel of heaven. But then Paul also says, even if we, he's talking about himself, even if I, Paul, should preach a contrary gospel In other words, if I start to change my story as Paul, you can throw me out. This is Paul. Fascinating. He's saying, what's important is not me. If I start saying things differently from what you heard from me the first time, then you can know that you can tell me to go to hell. You can tell me, get out of here. Again, Paul knew it's the message is what was important. And if the messenger started to change his message, then you throw him out. Well, there's an epidemic of this in the church today. Why is that? Because we all want to hear something new. We want to hear something new from from some special person who has God's special anointing because it can't just be the gospel over again. Come on, there's got to be something else. Let me tell you, there is not a more special, more anointed person than Paul himself. And he says, yep, it's the gospel all over again. And anything different and Paul says, you can throw me out. So we have one sin that of pride that leads to this false authority, which is me setting myself up as, as the ultimate authority in my life. And it leads to us uh, trusting that we can have an experience with God and that that be the ultimate authority or that we want to hear something new uh, from uh, some special person uh, so that we don't hear just the gospel again because we want to hear something new. And so... There's the identity of the false authority. Uh, But second, now we have to identify the ultimate authority. So the second point, identifying the ultimate authority. All I want to do here is is for us to see that that the revelation um, that Paul received from from Jesus is now the ultimate authority that we have in Scripture. That's all I want us to see. So, So look at verses 11 and 12. Paul says this, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul received the gospel from a revelation of Jesus. Well, what, what is a revelation? Sounds kind of fancy, not a word that we use very often, but... It, it, it simply means this. It, it comes from a word that, that means to, to lay bare, to, to disclose truth, to instruct, to communicate information, to make something known that before this was not known. And simply it can mean to appear. So in other words, the living, resurrected Jesus spent time with Paul, giving him the gospel. Jesus communicated in words the gospel to Paul, and he showed him the gospel And because of that, Paul now has the ultimate authority in the gospel. And he's resting on that. He's not resting on any other man. He's not resting on tradition. And he's not resting on himself. And what is the content of this gospel? Well, if you were here last week, um, Ted preached about it, and it comes in verse 6. It says, God called you in the grace of Christ. That's the gospel. God initiated. He set his love upon his people, and then he secured that love by sending Christ, who gave himself on behalf of our sins. That's the content of the gospel, and it's that message that Paul heard from Jesus in verse twelve. Now, it's also important that we know that Paul identified himself as an apostle. That's that's an important distinction. But Paul is unique. He's not like you and me. He was an apostle with with a capital A, if you will. The early church had these kinds of apostles. We, we don't have this anymore. So what is that? What, what was an apostle? What was Paul's role? Well, it was someone who was personally trained by Jesus. It was someone who was an eyewitness to the resurrected Christ and whose words were, were um, authenticated by signs and wonders. In other words, not you or me. Paul's role was special because he was an eyewitness to Jesus. And because of that role, he gave us, recorded for us the gospel in a book like Galatians. Now, if you know the story of Paul, you know that his beginning uh, uh, in the gospel was was not a really very nice, gentle story. Um, His beginning in the gospel was was being knocked on his backside uh, while on the road to Damascus where Jesus appeared to him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so Jesus renders Paul blind and helpless uh, also that Jesus could then take hold of this man who was persecuting the church uh, and turn him uh, into the man who would then be held in chains for proclaiming that same gospel. And so you see, even here in our passage, Paul makes no mention of any of that. And why is that? Because he didn't care about the experience. He cared about the message. The message was what was important to Paul because he had been entrusted to give that message that God called us as sinners in the grace of Christ. And so it's important that you and I recognize that we don't try to have the same experience that Paul did. I know many people um, who are held in bondage because they are waiting to have that road to Damascus experience. Uh, And when they don't, they assume man, I need more faith, or man, there's unconfessed sin in my life, or, or, or whatever thought they have. In case you weren't, weren't checking, Paul didn't have a lick of faith when he was knocked down on the road to Damascus. Uh, he was persecuting the church. He was killing people. He was filled with sin, and yet what? Jesus called him. So why do we want that Damascus experience? Why do we want that? Well, because it goes back to the first point. We want some kind of authority in our life that can come from within ourselves, right? We want to be able to say to others, look, I had this experience with Jesus. I don't need anything else. I don't need you. I don't need the word. Uh, Me and Jesus got it going on. And so Paul's telling us, you can't set yourself up as that ultimate judge, so now, though, if Jesus doesn't come personally, knock us off our horse and teach us the gospel, how do we get that message? Well, Paul did this really unique thing. He took a pen and some paper and he wrote the gospel down for us. And it's what we have in books like Galatians that we're going through right now. Uh, but there was something significant that happened with Paul. Uh, Paul, uh, there was a union of, of Paul's personal uh, experience, who he was as a person, and also the Holy Spirit carrying him along, uh, being inspired as he wrote. And so we come at this point to this sort of frustrating concept as as we try to land the plane um, on this point of the ultimate authority. It's frustrating because the appeal that we make as believers is that we know what we know from Scripture. And Scripture says it has ultimate authority because it's Scripture. It's the Word of God so you can see we kind of go around in a circle. And so you could say, well, how is this any different from the epistemologies, from uh, the authorities that we undressed in the first point? How is this any different? And I would say to you in one sense, it's not any different, except for this, that you and I can be honest about our authority. Our authority is Scripture, always will be Scripture, and Scripture alone. But here's the other difference. When I pose the question, how do you know that killing someone is, is evil, is bad, the answer from the other authority was this. You just know. So in other words, how do you know what's good? Well, you just know. How do you know what love is? Well, you just know it. How do you know what justice is? You just know. And you keep going and you kind of come to the place where you say, that's not very convincing. A- at the end of, of this authority is, is just this. It's, it's some concept. It's, it's an idea. It's things like justice or goodness or love. That's it. Well, let me tell you. As believers, at the end of our authority is a person. A person. God himself is at the end of our authority who demonstrated what love, justice, and goodness really is. He demonstrated it in a real life that really died on a cross. With real blood being poured out in order to give us his righteousness. And who really rose again from the dead and gave us his power. Look, love can't die for love. Justice can't execute justice on itself. Goodness can't talk about itself. But God can do those things. And he demonstrated them in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And because of that, scripture is our ultimate authority. And so finally... We're gonna move on to the final point because if scripture is our ultimate authority, then, then we need to do something. And the Bible just says clearly that we receive that authority. And so finally, receiving that authority, you can look at verse 10. Look at what Paul says. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So Paul's simple response to having received the revelation of the gospel of Jesus is, listen, I've been called by God and I've become his willing servant. If this is Paul's response, it's our appropriate response as well. It's to receive that authority that comes in the form of scripture. And so now, how do you receive that authority? I'm going to tell you, it's really complicated. It's really hard. Uh, you have to think about it a lot. Um, you read the Bible. That's how you come under this authority. Over the last eight months, nine months of my life, um, CBR has, has changed my life. Um, I'm not saying that because I'm on staff. I'm not saying that to try and please anyone. I'm saying that because it's real, and I'm going to tell you why. Uh, It's real because uh, at some point I recognized um, that I needed to stop studying Scripture and instead ask Scripture to study me, Uh, trusting that what Hebrews 4.12 says is really true. You know this passage, that the Word of God is living And active, sharper than any double edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I want you to see this morning that everything that we've been talking about in this sermon is applied in CBR, in in city Bible reading, in reading the Word of God. Uh, If you don't have a journal, I hope you can get one. The the first thing that the journal says uh, each day is to surrender through prayers for illumination and transformation. Surrender. What does that mean? That's a word that's all about authority. Who's your authority? The first sin that we can confess is the same sin that Adam and Eve uh, committed when they fell in the garden. I know what's best. I am my own ultimate authority. And in CBR, we have the opportunity to confess our pride and instead say, no, I'm surrendering to God and his word. That's my authority. And so we read scripture with an expectation uh, that it's not just a book but that it's a living book and that God meets us there. In CBR, we pray for illumination because, um, as Peter said, there are some things in the scriptures that are just hard to understand. Uh, And we need the Holy Spirit to shine light for us. In CBR, we pray for transformation because Jesus meets us in the word. It's alive. And because of that meeting, because of meeting Jesus, we are renewed. So, while Paul experienced uh, being knocked down on the road to Damascus once, and many of us desire to have this amazing experience, we don't need to desire that. Why? Because when we encounter Jesus in his word, we are knocked down every single day. We are knocked down because every day we wake up and we've forgotten the gospel. Every day we turn to some other authority. And so we don't wake up in the morning to read the Bible so that God will reward us or so that we can check it off a list. We read the Bible because we've forgotten the gospel again. And we need to remember the gospel. We learned last week as Ted preached how quickly we turn from it. You've already turned from it just right now. You've you've turned from it as soon as you walk out the door. And so each day we need to go back and remind ourselves uh, of the gospel And so when we ask scripture to study us, uh, rather than us studying scripture, here's what happens. Uh, We become like Paul. Paul knew a lot of things about Jesus while he was persecuting the church. It's not that he had never heard of him before. That's why he's persecuting the church. Um, But the fullness of who Jesus was and what he had done for Paul was still hidden from him. That is, until Jesus was revealed to him and that's what happens for us in scripture. We see Jesus. Many of us are trapped uh, in this, this knowledge vacuum. If I can just know more about Jesus, my life will be changed. That was me. My prayer is this, though, that we would see Jesus in his word, to see him as the really risen and exalted one, full of majesty and power, full of incomprehensible love that we sing about. Love so marvelous that it seeks me out and finds me one of the most ruthless foes who's opposed to him like Paul, and that we would turn to him, and that we would see Christ as victorious, full of mercy and grace, reaching out his arms to us in the word. So in conclusion, I'll just ask you, what are are you founding your life on? Uh, You could be founding your life um, like that New Orleans house with no pillars, and waiting to be washed away by the next storm. Um, Or uh, you could be founding your life on Uh, Pillars that reach down 100 feet into the ground, securing you to a foundation. And so you have to ask yourself, who is your ultimate authority? Scripture is our authority, because in it, we meet the risen Lord Jesus, who calls us in his grace. Our last uh, song tonight begins this way. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word um, that you have given to us, that is living and active, that is sharper than any double-edged sword, that is piercing uh, to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and that is discerning our thoughts and intentions of our heart. Would you expose our hearts tonight? Uh, would you quickly show us how we have made someone else or something else our authority every day? And would you change our hearts uh, to not set up ourselves as that authority, but to surrender to you in your word? Jesus, thank you for the message of the gospel uh, that says you have called us as sinners in your grace, that you lived perfectly for us and that you died for us and that you rose again to give us power. in your name that we pray. Amen.